Welcome to Is That Embarrassing? An unfiltered and sometimes hilarious public airing of secrets and private thoughts. In each episode, I share secrets, listen to the secrets of my guests, all while debunking the stigma, self-consciousness, awkwardness, and feelings of embarrassment that sometimes surround these topics. I'm your host, Stephanie Andrew. Hi, welcome. Um, I hope that you guys are having an awesome week. Um, I... I wanted to just say thank you to everyone who reached out about last week's episode. It was overwhelming and beautiful. Uh, There were a lot of women who reached out to me and shared their experience with me, um, you know, regarding miscarriage. Um, There were a lot of men (laughs) that reached out to me and shared their experience. And, And then there were just people, strangers, friends, family who reached out and just showed so much love and compassion. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a vulnerable episode. It was, I was so reluctant about even airing it. Um, but I'm really glad that I, I did. And like any episode, there were things that I wish I like would have said. And if you follow the Instagram page, I made a post about this, like things that I wish I would have included, things I would wish I would have talked about. And there were also things that I didn't plan on talking about that came up. Um, but I think part of that was Jen, the guest, she's a therapist and her nature is just so inviting and welcoming and compassionate and so I felt comfortable opening up about things that I didn't think I would um because it was just more of like a conversation with a friend you know and it felt like a really safe space and that's the goal of the podcast in each episode is to create a safe space for these conversations so um so diving in this week I found a black-owned business, as promised, that I would like to do an ad for. Um, The business is called Flower and Folk, F-O-L-K. And their product is, um, they basically have handcrafted high-quality essentials made with zero harsh ingredients, plant-based goodness, and skin-loving ingredients. There's no toxins, no animal testing, so it's completely cruelty-free. Um, and their products are just phenomenal. So they have um, right now available online. You can shop their soaps, candles, hair care, and um, they also have some accessories. And so I would definitely, their soaps are phenomenal. I bought two um, because I'm a firm believer in testing products before I, you know, do an ad for them or, um, encourage others to try them and so I am definitely going to be buying more. Um, My skin gets really sensitive depending on the time of the year and especially due to allergies and their soaps are so gentle. They're crafted with organic butter, sustainable oils, skin safe dyes and fragrances Um, and all of the herbs that they use are um, actually locally sourced as well. So I loved both of the soaps that I got, but um, the the berry yogurt one, I was just so impressed by. First of all, I it literally smelled like I had like a fruity, summery bowl of yogurt in front of me. I could smell raspberry, some coconut, banana, blueberry. Um, and the coolest part is it's infused with actual yogurt clusters, oats, dried berries, and all of these things help with exfoliation for your skin. Um, so after I used it, I smelled like a summer day (laughs) and my skin was brand new. And so I just, I can't encourage you guys enough to 
shop their products, go give them a follow. Um, their Instagram handle is Flower and Folk. Um, and I will go ahead and I'll put it in the story sometime this week. Um, but yeah, they, it's black, black and female owned and that is what we're here for. Um, and so let's step up, let's show them some love and let's get some bomb ass product as a result of that. Um, so yeah, thank you. That's all I have on, on this week's ad. Um, as far as the episode goes, this week, I actually had the pleasure of interviewing a friend of mine from Michigan. Her name is Sarah Ordo. Um, she is an entrepreneur and the owner of 24 Lux Hair and Makeup. Um, she does a lot of work um, offering beauty services for weddings and different events. She also does eyebrows and she's incredible at what she does. I can speak from experience, um, but we're not talking about all of that today. What we're actually going to discuss is that she is sober as fuck. Um, and we're, we're going to dive into how sobriety led to her rediscovering herself and building her life into her best life possible. Um, sobriety also led to the series of YouTube videos um, that she has made for the world to watch. Um, and she also has a blog, SoberAF.com. And not only all of those incredible things, but her sobriety led to her writing and self-publishing her fir first book, Sober as Fuck. Um, and she's gone on to publish um, a workbook, a couple of workbooks, and some other stuff since then. And so... Um, Oh, and she has a podcast. So since you're a fan of podcasts, I'll plug that for her as well. Um, she has a podcast, Her Best Fucking Life. It's on iTunes um, and Stitcher. And um, she's just doing a lot. Um, she's doing a lot to uh, share her, her experience with sobriety um, and to also encourage people in their journeys with sobriety. And so I... Um, I had mentioned a few weeks ago, I took a week off from doing an episode because I lost someone in my family and that loss was due to a drug addiction. Um, and you know, I've had people really close to me in my life who have struggled with drugs and who have struggled with alcohol. And that loss just made me feel like I wanted to do some kind of an episode surrounding this subject and Sarah is an expert, <laughs> so it seems, on being sober. And I felt like her personal experience um, with her addiction and with her journey to sobriety is really moving. And so that's why I chose her as a guest. So this episode is going to be fun. Even if you um, don't have experience with addiction, don't have experience with alcohol, maybe you know someone who does. And even if you somehow don't know someone who does, um, Sarah's personal experience is just so um it's so crazy to listen to and it's it's not it's just like informative and so you're gonna love this episode either way I'm so glad that you're here for it and before we dive in um per usual you can rate review subscribe to the podcast on itunes follow the podcast on instagram if you don't already at is that embarrassing my personal handle is at seeker and sought s-o-u-g-h-t one day i may make it more um easy to search me on the interwebs but not today um and then what else what else what else 
Uh, oh, if you have secrets, embarrassing moments, anything that you'd like to share, feedback about episodes, episode requests, subjects that you think that would be awesome to be covered, um, email them in um, to is that embarrassing at gmail.com. And with all of that, let's dive into this week. Welcome. I have guest Sarah Ordeaux with me today. Um, she is an author who writes on sobriety, and I'm going to let her kind of tell you a little bit about herself to begin. Yes. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. Um, like Stephanie mentioned, uh, my name is Sarah Ordo. I am a self-published author. I first got into writing when I got sober uh, just over five years ago. And that's where most of my career through the interwebs and the interworld began. Um, and from there, it really led to everything I'm doing now. I have a podcast called Her Best Fucking Life. I host Her Best Fucking Brunch events, which are female empowerment events in the Detroit area. Um, I do a lot of speaking opportunities. And then kind of on the other side of that, I also, um, I originally started my career in the beauty industry. So I own 24 Lux Hair and Makeup, which is an on-location bridal hair and makeup team. And then we just opened our first brick and mortar in the Detroit area called 24 Lux Beauty Bar. So I'm kind of doing a lot of things, but all yeah. in, you know, the inner outer world of, of women and people looking to better themselves, really. Yeah, that's exciting. And I, so I did photography in Michigan before I moved to New York and I got to do photos for some of your brides and the makeup was always impeccable. I just have oh, to figure that you. out. <laughs> yeah. so I, I know. Like still strong at the end of the night. Yes. Which a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's always interesting how I've connected with so many different people just in so many different professional worlds and fields and you know and bridal and all the different places so it's really oh yeah the way we originally connected was someone uh another photographer Paige referred me to you for my eyebrows yes like girl I need help <laughs> please help me with these and you did you did phenomenal so thank you uh, yeah of course but so you have you have a lot going on so we're today in this episode I what we'll be covering mostly is sobriety um the books that you've written your journey to sobriety variety and all of that fun stuff. So just to kind of start off, you said that you've been sober for about five years. Yep. I've five years sober as of May. So that is two, three months ago ish around there. So yeah, just over five years. Congrats. So yeah, of course, what led you to make that decision for yourself? Was it a health decision, a mental health decision? Or were there like a series of events that kind of made you think I need to make a life choice? Yeah. So I was a binge drinker, like to the extreme though, like not like, a, Oh, I'll drink like five drinks on Friday night. Like I did it every day of every weekend. I was always blacked out when I drank. Um, and the thing that was dangerous with me was like, I was a full functioning blackout. So like I wouldn't pass out like a lot of people did. I would keep going, I would keep drinking, I would go places, I would do things, and I would have like zero judgment, zero recollection of what I was doing. Uh, and people would always be shocked because they'd be like, you didn't even seem that drunk when I talked to you, and I wouldn't even remember seeing them. And I'd be like, wow, okay. Um, so that went on from the time I was 
I started drinking around the age of 13 until I got sober at 26. So what led to me actually getting sober was unfortunately it had to be a rock bottom moment. Like it has to be for a lot of people. Um, you know, some people don't need that. Some people just decide they want to make a change, but I was very stubborn. I was very hard headed. Um, I was so just addicted to the cycle and the numbing and the partying. Like it was just, that's who I was. It was a huge part of my identity. So for me, it did take one of those, um, events. And for me, it was, I went to a electronic music festival here in the Detroit area. Um, it's called Detroit electronic music festival. It's called Demp. I went every year. It was like our biggest partying. I loved electronic music and DJs and stuff like that. And it honestly started out the same as every other weekend for me. Um, nothing was really out of the norm. We pre-gamed at my apartment. Um, I drank a very large amount of tequila, almost an entire fifth before we left, and then took Adderall from a friend, and then got downtown, had to wait in line. So of course, that was an excuse to walk to the liquor store with random guys I met in line that I didn't know and consumed a pint of vodka with a 40 of Mike's Hard Lemonade as a chaser. So obviously I was already gone at that point. Yeah, um, and people, so the podcast isn't on video. We just do audio. So for those of you who can't see Sarah, she is a tiny girl. You're little, yeah. so that is a <laughs> yeah. lot. Like that's a lot for anyone, but especially for someone your size. Yes, I'm five feet tall, like on a good day. So I'm, <laughs> I've always been able to consume like an ungodly amount of uh, alcohol. So Yes. As you can imagine, I was completely blacked out at that point. I remember nothing beyond there. And one of my friends said she even like pulled me aside and was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I'm good. So we uh, got into the festival. I believe I bought one more drink once we were inside from like a drink tent or something. And then I ended up taking a handful of pills from someone in a crowd. I basically handed him a wad of cash and he shoveled a handful into my mouth and I took them. And I had always kind of recreationally used drugs while I was drinking, um, you know, cocaine, pills, things like that. I was always weirdly particular about what I took though, for some odd reason, like I was trying to be careful or something. Like mm -hmm. I didn't want to take things from strangers, but obviously at this point I was so drunk, it didn't matter. Um, but I ultimately took a lethal combination of ecstasy, MDMA, and ketamine, which is commonly found in animal tranquilizers. It basically, it's, they, it puts people into what they call a K-hole where you're basically just gone. Like you're not responsive at all. And I already had such a high blood alcohol level before taking all of those things that my body just didn't know how to handle it. So I collapsed on the concrete in the middle of the festival and they kind of like carried me over to the grass. They thought maybe I needed to throw up. I collapsed again on the concrete and my eyes started to roll back into my head. So they carried me up to a medic tent. I was in there for what they said was just like a few minutes. And the nurse came out and was just like, she's going to the hospital. Like we're calling an ambulance. That's it. So they've strapped me into an ambulance. And this is like the only thing from the entire night that I have any recollection from. And I had no like visual recollection of it. I can only remember like the sounds. And I just remember hearing a woman's voice saying like, what did you take, sweetie? What did you take? And I remember like trying, like I was trying to get up, but everything was just black. And I could tell I was like strapped down by my chest. Like I couldn't mm -hmm. move. And I just kept hearing a woman say like, no, no, sweetie, what did you take? And it was just like that voice, like ringing so like clear. 
And I ultimately ended up seizing at some point. I bit partially into my tongue. I woke up in the hospital and I was hooked up to all these wires and IVs. I had almost gone into cardiac arrest. So they were keeping me for observation. Um, even after they had flushed everything, you know, gotten everything out of my system. And I woke up in the emergency room, no idea where I was, what had happened, anything. So I was like screaming and pulling wires out of my arms and IVs out and freaking out because I had no idea what had happened. And I think I was still so out of it that I wasn't even completely sober, to be honest. Um, and it was the worst experience ever. Um, a doctor like came in at some point and was like, do you understand what just happened? And I was like, yeah, like didn't know what to say. And he was like, your body was literally like shutting down on itself. Like, we don't know how someone your size, like got through that and handled all of those substances. Like your body was literally about to shut down and that was it. Like, do you understand what just happened? And I was like, yeah, like I just kept saying, yeah. And I don't think it even like hit me yet. What really had happened is that you had like a very close ass encounter with death. Yes. Literally. Yeah. So they, I mean, like that's, the doctors were basically like, we don't even know how you made it. And I'm just like, okay, but like, so still out of it and like normalizing things that I wasn't even like registering it. Yeah. And I don't even really think it like hit me to the full extent until I was like, I went to my mom's. I remember it was the next day when I got out of the hospital. So I went to, I went to my mom's and I remember like her crying. And I remember having all these messages on my phone. People thought I was dead. And people were like trying to reach out to me to see like what had, like if I was okay, like they knew I was taking the emergency room, like people were freaking out. And I remember having to like send messages to all these people and be like, I am so sorry. Like I put you through this and like, what a piece of shit I felt like having to say that. And people were like crying and upset and thought that I could have been dead. And it was like the worst thing that I've ever had to do. And it made me feel like the biggest piece of shit I've ever felt like in my life. And that's the last time I've ever drank. That was the last night I've ever had a drop of alcohol. <laughs> wow. My life. So that was over five years ago. <laughs> that's insane. So was, was the decision easy? Like, was it because you were someone, this was so habitual to you in a sense that did you experience any type of withdrawal? Did you experience any like second thoughts? Like, mm, maybe I can have just one drink. What did that process look like? Yeah. So it took... I mean, I knew right away there had been many red flags in my life where it should have been a sign that something had to change. Like I ripped my chin open on a concrete parking lot before. Like I've had experiences with sexual assault, rape, like all these things where it should have been it. And it just wasn't at any point. Like I always was just like, oh, I was so drunk. Like almost like it was a funny story to tell people. And that's how I normalized it. So I feel like I had all those red flags that should have been things, but this was one where it was like, okay, like you could be dead right now. Like that's, that's the moment where you make that decision where you're, you're rock bottom. You're either going to stay down or you're going to, and I mean, like you stay down, you give up. Like, I mean, I probably would have just continued on that cycle until something worse happened. Yeah. So it's like you either stay there or you're going to rebuild and go up from there. And so that was the moment I decided like, I could be dead right now. I have a second chance and I need to do something with it. Like I'm, I'm lucky to have this. So I made the decision right then and there that I was going to be sober. I remember I made a post on Facebook about it because that's what every mid twenties girl does. Like for accountability, like, yeah. oh, okay, you guys, I'm going to stop drinking. Like I put up like a quote with it or something. Um, 
And I was very naive about how easy it was going to be in the beginning. I was like, I'm just going to keep living my life. I'm just not going to drink. So like for a, a short period of time, I actually would continue getting dressed up with my girlfriends every weekend, going to the bar and I would just be the DD. And somehow I'm a pretty like strong, stubborn person. Somehow I did it, but I would like drive home at two in the morning crying hysterically, like having a panic attack in the car because I was so uncomfortable and I was not ready to let go of that past, but I was also trying to start something new. So I was extremely conflicted with how this new life was going to be for a very long time. And honestly, the thing that ended up, I got into really bad relationships. Like I was just playing with fire. My mental health went to shit. I was depressed. I was having horrible depression, anxiety, like episodes um, where I like didn't want to leave the house. And it just got to a point where I realized like I was hitting the lowest points mental health wise that I had ever been to in my life while struggling to stay sober on my own with no help and no resources. Mm -hmm. And so around, it was a little bit before I hit a year, which I don't know how I made it that long that I actually found a therapist. And that was like huge game changer because at that moment I realized that, you know, I was a binge drinker. I didn't drink every single day. So I didn't have necessarily as bad of physical symptoms as some other people do when they quit drinking, which almost made it more dangerous in a way because it was like, oh, I, I didn't get that bad then. You know what I mean? Like it yeah, kind of justify made it. it in a sense. Yeah. Like, well, I wasn't like, I wouldn't come up, call myself an alcoholic for two years Wow. through it because I was like, well, no, I wasn't like that. Like I was still trying to like normalize it. Like I didn't have to drink every day. Like I started a business during this time. I have friends, like I'm not like that. So it was, it was strange because I didn't have those traditional like withdrawal. I didn't go to like inpatient rehab. I didn't do things like that. So it looked a little different to me, which made it strange to kind of identify exactly what it was. Um, But yeah, when I started going to therapy, like game changer, because I realized for me, a lot of my motivation to drink the way I did. I did have alcoholic tendencies, absolutely. But for me, I started to realize how much of a strong hold in my drinking actually came from my trauma and my mental health and my using it as a numbing tool, Yeah, which was almost stronger than the actual act of drinking itself was more the numbing mechanism. Yeah. And that's what I was going to get at because a lot of times, you know, there are a lot of different uh, causes that lead into alcohol um, addiction, drug addiction, but a lot of times the most common are it's being used as like a coping mechanism or it's genetic, right? Because these addictions are hereditary. And, um, and so that's what I was going to ask. So you, you were basically just using it to like numb out whatever you weren't trying to deal with. Yeah, I think I had a, I kind of had a double-edged sword. Um, My grandfather was a raging alcoholic Mm -hmm. and my mom and I have talked about it, how like similar we were with our drinking and stuff. And so I know the tendency is there in my family already. So I think it just kind of like fueled the fire once I started using it as a numbing tool that it was like that just kicked in then too. So it was almost like I had that double-edged sword where both sides of it were unhealthy. 
Yeah, I um, I have the same experience. I have people on both sides of my family, my mom and my dad, who have struggled with alcoholism as well as drug addiction. And so for me, I kind of always, um, well, for actually within, it's been like 46 days, I think, that I haven't drank just because I started, especially with COVID and stuff, at the end yeah. of a really stressful work day, my like first reach would be a white claw, right? And mm -hmm. I am not a person who really binge drinks. I'm not a person who goes out a ton, drinks a ton, but I have in the past like struggled if I'm going through something really emotional or stressful, those are that's the time that you'll find me in the bar with my friends, like dancing it up, having a good time. And then I saw myself like in my house being stressed about work and grabbing a drink. And I was like, I'm aware, I'm aware of this pattern within my family. And so I was like, all right, we're done. Like we're not drinking and maybe it'll be a permanent thing. Maybe it won't be a permanent thing. But like for the time being, I just like saw it going a certain way. And I was like, I'm not comfortable with this. Like I'm mm -hmm. not comfortable with just like, you know, gravitating towards this as a clutch, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but so you had mentioned, um, you had started talking about how in the beginning of this process, you would still go out with your friends and get dialed up and be the DD. And I, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that because I've even just from like, you know, a little over a month of like just actively choosing, I'm going to take a hiatus from alcohol. I've noticed like I'm single, so I'm on dating apps and like guys will be like, yeah, as soon as you get back into the city, let's grab a beer, let's grab a beer, let's grab a beer. And it's this, and all of my friends are like, as soon as you get back, we'll make cocktails. And it's like, it's this societal, like normal and norm. And so how, how did you struggle with that? Um, did you, were there people that you had to cut yourself off from because of their lifestyle? What did that look like? Yeah, it changed everything to be completely honest. And that's like, I was trying so long in the beginning to keep it the same. And then at some point it became very clear to me that it wasn't going to be the same. Like if I was actually going to do this, um, I did lose some friendships around that time. And it's funny cause we've actually like recently reconnected now, like years, years, years later with so much that has changed, but it definitely changed a lot. Um, it changed everything for me because I was the party girl. That's who I always was in high school, in college, I was in a sorority. Like that's exactly who I was and everything I had been around. Like you said, it was so normalized. It was, Oh, we're in a sorority frat parties. Oh, we're doing this like pregame at someone's house. Oh, we're going to go out for brunch mimosas. Oh, girls night margaritas. Like everything was so normalized with alcohol. And that's what makes it so, I don't want to say dangerous because some people can have a totally healthy relationship with alcohol. Like I'm not going to deny that. I'm just not one of those people, mm -hmm. but there are people that can do that. But alcohol is so heavily normalized now that I don't think people even realize sometimes when, if they're starting to have an issue with it or, you know, seeing how much it is in their everyday life. And I'm so glad you brought up dating because <laughs> I was online dating. I was online dating while I was drinking and while I was sober. And that was one of the most interesting things sober to go through because there were so many dynamics going on with not only myself, but with other people when they knew or found out that I was sober. It was extremely entertaining. <laughs> yeah. What was that like? Do you want to, can you dive into it a little bit? I'm just curious. Yeah. So, oh my God. And I feel also like just like how you approach the subject with yeah. people, you know, because that's yeah. 
I I know I have like I said I have family members who have like stopped drinking and um and due to alcoholism and I have friends who have made that decision for themselves and I've always just been curious like how do you even bring it up in a normal fashion you know yeah so um I feel like and I don't know maybe I'm wrong I feel like you're around my age my generation it was way more normalized than it is now. I don't know yeah. what it is. I feel like this makes me sound old. I feel like the kids today are smoking a lot more pot than they are yeah, drinking. That's so like, true. Like we were like the Jersey Shore generation. Like yes. that's what we watched. You know what I mean? That was normal. Um, but yeah, I feel like, okay. So when I first, when I first got sober and I was, you know, going to bars or online dating, um, as soon as I said, I didn't drink, it was like, why? Or, oh, are you driving tonight? Like, like if I was at a bar, like, well, why don't you drink? Why aren't you drinking? Like people, people would get confused. And I mean, in a bar, I understand how that would be confusing, but it was very interesting when I started dating because I went through this whole thing of like, okay, do I need to date someone who's also sober then? Mm-hmm. Do I need to date someone that drinks and just be okay with it? Or do I need to find a middle ground that maybe someone who doesn't drink a lot? Like I didn't know what was going to work. And I can say I went every avenue there was to go. Um, and I, I can't even give you an answer for what's best because I couldn't even tell you because it was crazy because I got to a point where I remember I literally put a picture. I had already, I'd written my first book sober as fuck. And I had a picture of me holding it at this women's group that I talked to. And I remember I literally put it as one of my profile pictures on my Tinder profile because I was like, <laughs> let's just get this shit out early. It's a good icebreaker. Yeah. Clearly she's sober. And then it was also like, oh my God, you wrote a book, which was a yeah. great like intro line. But I, I just put it out there at some point. I was like, fuck this. Like if people are going to like me, they're going to like me like this. Like it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but it was funny because like I had people, I had someone get drunk on a first date like at dinner before dinner even came to the table. And he said, well, as long as I can still drink, that's fine. And I was like, okay, not going to (laughs) work. So, you know, I had that happen. I had people that I started talking to, you know, was really interested in, like things were going fine. They said it wasn't an issue. And then I woke up to like a 2 a.m. text message saying, it's just not going to work because you don't drink when they were drunk. And I was like, okay, well then wasn't meant to be with you anyway. Yeah. I had people tell me that, you know, oh, you know, I've been thinking about maybe I should cut back on drinking. That's so great. Like blah, blah, blah. And then down the road, tell me that it wasn't going to work because they weren't there yet with like, they still wanted to go out with their friends. And then, and then literally I met someone who was sober that I was like, this is going to be perfect. Like two sober people. Great. And I can tell you like, that was the shittiest breakup we weren't even dating that long but like two people especially like in two different sobriety journeys there's so many issues in each person and there's so many things going on and you have to prioritize so much of your health and what you're doing for yourself that it's hard to give all of yourself to someone else and Mm -hmm. like that compromise in a relationship and I remember the both of us like this is so like sad but I remember the both of us just like crying on the phone because we were like this isn't gonna work and we wanted it to so badly that it was like sad yeah. And well, so when you're in that journey, there's so much like, especially when you're going to therapy, there's so much that's resurfacing. There's a lot yes. of healing going on. And when you have a person who's also experiencing that, it's like yeah. the relationship falls on the back burner a little bit. Yes, exactly. 
Yeah, it was, I remember it was like so sad. Like we were both so upset and it was just like, it wasn't like we were both on such a journey and it was such a different, at different places that it was just like, we couldn't do it. Like it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And then you got married. I know. And now I got married. <laughs> and you know what? Andrew is a social drinker. He does not drink with me. Um, like when we're one-on-one, he's not, he doesn't drink then. There is one time I tried to be like a tough ass bitch. And I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. You can get a drink. We were on vacation. And he got, I don't remember where we were. And he got their wine, like their specialty wine or whatever. And I literally found myself salivating at the table. Oh my God. And I told him, I was like, I have never had this happen, but like, this can't happen again. Like, because yeah. I could literally taste it in my mouth. And I was literally like salivating at the thought of it. And I was like, that's not okay. Like, we can't do that again. Yeah. So I mean, he is, he loves football. He goes and watches the game with his friends. The UFC fights has beers, but he's very respectful of me. And I will say straight up front, if anyone's like, how do you navigate this? It was not always that easy. When we first started dating, there were 2 a.m. nights where he had gone out and I said I was fine with it. And then I was screaming and crying at three in the morning when he came home because I could smell alcohol on him and having these huge like blowout fights. And what we realized at some point was, you know, it's, it's my life decision. Yes, I expect him to be respectful of it and, you know, do what he needs to do to support it. But I also don't expect him to stop drinking forever just because I did in every single situation. So we've definitely had a lot of communication around it. It's like mad communication. I literally drug him to therapy with me once when I was like crying and made him like sit in there and like talk with me and my therapist because I was like, I know I act like I'm okay, but sometimes I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, honestly, being able to communicate about it because like he doesn't understand what I'm going through. So like, communication and then setting boundaries was huge for me. It was like, you're not going to come back home past this time. I don't ever want you coming home smelling like a brewery. I don't ever want you coming home wasted. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I had to say things where it was like, you can't do this to be respectful of my sobriety, but we've made it work. Yeah. And I think that that communication and that respect is just key. And that it pertaining to so many different things, not just sobriety, right? But being able to feel safe telling someone what you need and then like respecting you enough to give it to you. Um, And that that requires sacrifice on both sides. You know, I'm sure there were sacrifices and compromises you had to make and there were some that he had to make, but that's awesome that it worked out. Yeah. I mean, there's been many friend events that I haven't gone to, to be completely honest. And I know the other girlfriends, the other wives are there and it's like, I can't, you know, cause I know he and his group of friends have a tendency to have a good time, yeah. um, when they get together with all the boys. And so it's like, I just, I know I can't be there. So do you, um, what are some ways that you actively like combat that addiction? Like what are ways, because it sounds like to some degree you still like struggle with the temptation of it sometimes, or maybe, maybe not even the temptation as much as like not wanting to put yourself in temptation's way, right? Like not wanting to be in environments that may be tempting. So what is that? Like, do you still struggle daily with that? Like, what does it look like for you? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's something I still struggle with daily. I mean, it still absolutely comes up. Um, There's been times where I've been somewhere and I'm just like, I need to leave early. Like I need to go. Like it's getting like a wedding, you know, after a certain point, people start to drink a lot and I'm just like, okay, I'm ready to leave. Like 
I've learned, and I mean, I've learned through going through it though. I mean, that's part of, part of sobriety is you're always going to have new situations arise that you don't realize you're maybe going to be uncomfortable in or things are going to spring up where you're like, oh shit, I can't do this. Um, so I've had to do things like that. There have, I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's been moments where I've been like, I went five years, like I probably could have a, a glass of wine and maybe stop. But then at the same time, I'm like, that's not smart. Like don't play with fire. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, but I do, it's something I still think about. There are moments that, I mean, I would be lying if I said, I don't think about like, oh, you know, like girls trips, girls nights out. Like I get a mocktail. I can still cheers with you guys. But you know, there are moments where like, I mean, Andrew said to me one day, he's like, I'll never get to experience that side of you, like being like funny drunk, like, you know, how most people have with someone they're dating or like, you know, being crazy drunk together or whatever. And I was like, no, you just get crazy me sober. (laughs) Well, and that's another thing is I think that so, so often like people who struggle with like insecurity or just like accepting who they are because I'm like a really weird person, right? But I know people think I'm weird. If I have two drinks, I don't care who thinks I'm weird. Like I don't care who sees it or what they're thinking because I'm just having fun, right? And so I think in a lot of ways, people use alcohol to take the edge off and to just like be loosey-goosey, be themselves, not have a care in the world. And so in what ways did you feel like a shift in your personality and your identity and how you presented yourself to people when you stopped drinking? Yeah, I was, I mean, not something to be proud of. I was an extremely promiscuous drunk. And I think I used it as an excuse to be able to be that way because I had a lot of insecurity. I had a lot of kind of like abandonment issues, really unhealthy relationships. I would get in horrible dating like cycles with people. And in a way, I think I, at some point started to use the attention I could get from men to be like, well, I'm still okay. Like they still want me. I'm still fine. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm not a mess yet because people still want me. And I, I started to equate people wanting me with, well, men wanting me, I should say, but I started to equate that with like my self-worth. And so alcohol almost allowed me to be more open to it and to put myself out there more and to, you know, kind of, and that's like kind of the fucked up thing I always think about is as someone that went through experiences with like sexual assault and rape, I feel like I almost used it to be able to put myself in that situation again and not feel anything change it or like rewrite it in a way and turn it into something else. And did you do, okay, that's interesting. So did you feel like by doing so, like by getting yourself put in that situation again, was there any kind of like control aspect to it? Like if it was out of your control when it initially happened, now it's like, okay, it's happening, but like, I'm kind of in control of the situation. Yeah. I think, I think it was, I think it was, I want to do this. Like I'm the one doing this in a way. Yeah. And I think, and it's, it's interesting because like ever since I've been sober, like I am so different in that way now. Like I would never. (laughs) And so I think in a way it like I did, I used it to become someone that didn't have all of that stuff that happened that like, well, this was on my terms and you know, it was me having a good time. And like, I was putting myself in those situations instead. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So tell me a little bit about your books. 
Yes. Oh my God. So I have so many. <laughs> no, it's so <laughs> crazy. You're so accomplished. I'm so crazy. No, I started writing. Um, my first book I self-published was called Sober as Fuck. And I started writing that right before I hit two years sober. Um, and my therapist was actually the one that was like the biggest supporter of it because I had told her I had this dream where I found this book on the floor and it was pictures of me in the book. And I realized it was my book. And she was like, Oh, and I was like, well, am I supposed to write a book? Like, what do I do? What does this mean? <laughs> right. I was like, is this a sign? And she was like, you know, even if you never did anything with it, she was like, it could be super therapeutic for you to just go through it, like journal about it, express yourself, like get your feelings and emotions out and kind of like process all of it. And at some point I was like, maybe people would want to read this. Like, I don't know. And I started, I had a YouTube channel already from like the beauty stuff. and. <laughs> I put out a video when I was like 30 days sober and I didn't really know what I was doing with it. And then I started making them at like six months sober and then at a year sober. And some of them started to catch a little bit of traction and kind of like blew up and people started contacting me and being like, oh my God, I was just like you. And so at some point I was like, okay, there's people that are like me that might actually resonate with what I'm talking about. And so that's how the first book came to be. Um, I released it on my two-year anniversary of sobriety, and I now have nine things on Amazon and Kindle. They're not all like full-length books, though. I have um, a sobriety workbook. I have a sobriety tracker and journal. I have a couple personal development books, um, and then I just did my first audio book too, which was really cool. But I just fell in love with the process of sharing what I was going through and how I was growing and what I was learning and what was helping me and seeing how it could just impact and change other women's lives that connected with it. Um, and I never realized how much sharing my story could do that. And it's been really cool to see because as I've done the books, like if you, if you were to follow me from day one and like you read all of them, you can actually like, if you read them, watch me as I'm like growing and changing from like newly sober into like a more confident, secure woman. And you could, it's almost like you're kind of like going on the journey with me if you read them all. So it's, it's been really neat. And it's just, it's been so crazy how many people have bought the books now and, and reached out to me and connect with me because of them and are like, Oh, I loved this book. It did this for me. And it's, it's just insane, but it's, it's the coolest feeling in the world to know that, you know, by being vulnerable and open, and sharing your, your story and your words, you can literally like change the lives of other people. Yeah. And that's the whole premise of this podcast, right? Is to discuss things that topics that have like some sort of stigma, embarrassment, shame surrounding them and to bring them to a light to light and like have a, a safe space for a conversation. And there's people weekly who will message me and be like, I went through exactly that. Like I was an orphan. I had an STD. I had a miscarriage, whatever the episode was. And they reach out and it's like, those little moments for me are the moments where it's like, okay, it doesn't matter what rate the podcast is growing at, how many downloads, like this is worth it because this is relevant to people and it's helping them like see their way through their shit. And so um, how, how important was like that sense of so sober community to you? Because we talked about how like it's so societal to drink. And so what was it like kind of finding your way into the, a community of people who were sober as fuck and like excited for you and your journey? It was incredible because I tried initially, like I said, to do it kind of on my own and I didn't know anyone 
going through what I was going through, which made it so hard. But now it's been so like, it's so much easier when you have community. Like, and I know you hear it in all these weird quotes about like groups and like going it together and you're stronger together, but like, it's so freaking true because I was trying to do it on my own in the beginning. And then I started to realize when I opened up and I let these people in and, you know, like started a, I have a Facebook group called Slaying Sobriety that has like 10,000 people in it now, like 10,000 women. And that's insane to me. We have this little world now. And I mean, especially with the internet nowadays, you don't even have to be in person to do this, but it's so crazy. Cause now there's like 10,000 women in this group posting about what's working for them and their accomplishments. And if they're struggling and if they need help or support and it's, it's so cool. And it, it's so true because when you have other people holding space for you and supporting you and cheering you on, even if they're not in person, it just gives you so much more support and you just feel like you've got someone there with you where it can be so lonely, especially in sobriety because you're losing so much. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's so important to talk about community because you can literally gain a whole community of people and have that support at the same time. Like you feel like you're losing so much of who you were for so long. Yeah. And I think something that's important is, you know, figuring out what, what is a good solution to that isolation for you, right? Because for a lot of people, it's therapy. Like that alone, like helps you to feel seen and heard by someone. You can talk through your feelings. And, um, but I do think the community is really important. So there are a ton of apps and Facebook groups, like you said, and all of these different areas now, because we have access to the internet that you can find it. So what, um, and I want to dive into in a minute here, some like resources that you might recommend. Um, but what are, what are the three, if you could like narrow it down to three big takeaways, um, that you've gained from being sober, like what are three things that have come out of that, that, you know, you wouldn't have had if you didn't make this life change for yourself? Um, definitely like being open to help was number one, like big, big time, because not only in sobriety in every area of life, mental health, so many things, so many of us try to do it alone and it's hard. And there are so many resources out there. Um, so I, I think that would be one of my biggest takeaways and things would be just being open to help and support. Um, I, I would say my second one is I didn't realize how, okay. If I knew how good my life had, would be on the other side of this, I would have done it much sooner. That's definitely a huge takeaway for me because I think I just, I didn't know. I didn't know what I was missing out on. And I thought this was it. This is what I had. So I think if I knew how different things would have been and I would have allowed myself to maybe even like consider that they would have been better, I would have done it much sooner. And then third is, oh gosh, if I had to pick a third. Well, I think too, to kind of go off of number two for you as well you, when you choose the route to do the work, it's harder. Like Mm -hmm. it's exhausting. There's a lot of pain that comes with it. There's healing that comes with it. But like you said, that pain and healing and work that you put in and the effort that you put in gives you this beautiful outcome where you can just like fully live and experience life. Whereas when you take what may be considered the easy route of just numbing your pain, drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever it is, you are not like doing the inner healing that you need. And so you're never going to actually experience happiness. You're never actually going to be satisfied. And a a thing that's really big for me and a reason I've always been kind of conscious of like how I drink and what I drink 
is alcohol is a depressant. And so if you're already going through like mental illness and you're depressed or anxious or whatever, you know, the, the emotion and feeling and psychological factor may be, alcohol is a depressant. Like it's going to just take that feeling and it's going to amplify it. Like I have had I'm, you know, I'm a human. Like I have had experiences where I've gone out to the wine dot street fair and drank my ass off and danced at the table at the dot. And let me tell you for the four days following it, I was in a like manic depressive state of mind. And I like became aware of that through therapy. Like I started making the correlation. Like when I drink, I feel like shit and I feel really, really sad and emotional and out of control for the days following. And so when you, when you say, okay, you know what, this is going to suck. It's going to hurt. I really, some days don't even want to do it, but I'm going to make the decision to heal and to focus on myself and to seek help. It opens this like door to a whole new life, like a freedom that you probably won't experience otherwise. Absolutely. And it's so ironic because we use, like you were talking about alcohol being a depressant, we use alcohol as such a celebration thing and a happy times and a positive, like, oh, time with friends. Oh, we're celebrating. Yep. Oh, cheers. We're using a depressant when we're happy and celebrating, which is just so ironic to me that it's like, yeah. that's what we choose. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so crazy. Um, okay. So did you think of a third thing? <laughs> I mean, okay. If I had to. Oh, honestly, kind of like you said, it's worth, it's worth the work. Like it sucks and it's hard and it's a lot of inner shit more so than I honestly, to me, it was way more inner work than it ever was about the actual physical act of drinking. Um, and to just be ready for that. But it's, it's so worth the work because that shit inside doesn't go away until you do something with it. Yeah. And, and the second that you, I think the second that you make the decision to stop you doing drugs, stop drinking alcohol, if you aren't committed to and willing to do the inner work, you're just going to probably, not always maybe, but I think it's more common to fall back into your same pattern instead of like, yeah. okay, I, I've been sober for a week, but like, I'm like struggling with depression. I'm struggling with my body image. I'm struggling with A, B, and C. So this feels awful just like sitting in these feelings. So I'm going to go to the bar tonight. Like, screw it. I tried, I did a week, you know? And yeah. I think that's, that's where some people fall short in their journey is like a lot of times more often than not, it doesn't just stop at not drinking sorry, did I go out mm -hmm. a little bit? Um, so a lot of times more often than not, it doesn't just stop at not drinking. It doesn't stop at not doing drugs. Like there's more, you have to get to the root of it. Like, why did you find yourself in that position to begin with? Cause yes. it starts out as fun, but like for people who like are obsessive over these like outlets, obsessive over these addictions, um, it's usually not just because it's fun. There's an underlying cause. Yes. 1000%. Yeah. So what are some resources that you found um, helpful through your journey or that you know about now that maybe you didn't in the first few years that you think could really 
um, help going through this experience and feel free to plug. I know you talked about your workbook and stuff, but you can use that as well. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I will say therapy first and foremost for me, like if you don't have a therapist, like I think people not even dealing with shit, like not at a rock bottom, like find a therapist. It's just great. I agree so much. Yeah. Therapy was huge for me. And it's funny because around that time I actually started going to a non-denominational church as well. Um, I was raised Catholic. I hadn't been to church in forever. And for a certain amount of time, it kind of became a safe space for me and like a ritual to go every Sunday. Um, I don't go anymore. I kind of had some, we didn't align on some beliefs and some things. So I, I don't go there anymore, but, but I mean, a spiritual journey on its own, no matter what it is, like connecting to something higher and more powerful than you, whether it's the universe, whether it's higher powers, whether it's God, whatever you believe in, I think that is a really powerful practice as well. Um, yeah, obviously you guys, if you guys want to check out my stuff, it's, it's all on Amazon and Kindle <laughs> under my name. Um, and did then for ever, me, did you ever do group therapy? No, I don't ever want to be a sobriety. Like, no, like, okay. I don't know. Like AA things like that. No. Okay. I was just, I just didn't like in your, yeah. Oh, I know. I, and I, I mean, I'm not bashing it. Maybe it would have been great for me, but something about sitting in a room and talking about it with everyone, I was very like, mm, I would rather just sit with my therapist and talk to her. No, I, I totally get that. And I think that's really common. And I think that, you know, group therapy gets pushed on a lot of people like, oh, have you mm-hmm. tried AA? Oh, have you tried AA? And it's yeah. like, it, it's great for some people. It's not great for everyone. Just like you might go to a therapist that's really reputable uh, amongst other people and they might not be the therapist for you. I, um, I just did a new moon circle with some girls and I was telling one of the girls that like, for me, I went through three therapists before I found one that clicked for me. And so it's just all about like one journey isn't going to look like the next and you just have to be consistent with like your effort to get help. Um, but I have someone close to me in my family who like hated group therapy said that it it, just sitting in a room and hearing people like talk about their sadness and their struggles not drinking was just like not triggering but it just wasn't a positive vibe yeah yeah and so I was just curious what your experience is but yeah I mean it is an option but you have to figure out what's best for you Yeah. I think everybody has their own unique journey and tool belt they need to create with what works for them. Um, I did a lot, like obviously community, like online community. I have my Facebook group. That's been really helpful. Um, And then I really got into like personal development was like big for me. So I did a lot of books, a lot of podcasts, a lot of things like that um, because I wanted to do the self work. And I, I found that that helped me in my sobriety immensely as well. Yeah, that's awesome. If you had to recommend um, one book outside of your own, what would you recommend for people oh, to read? I want to say, okay, and this it's not even completely like sobriety focused, to be honest, but one of the books I just remember like really hitting me hard in the beginning was um, The Universe Has Your Back by Gabrielle Bernstein, because she was also, um, she struggled with addiction. And she talks about it a little bit in the book, but the book is more so about like your spirituality and being open to like a higher power and guidance and support and things like that from things bigger than you. Um, And I just remember that one being super impactful for me in the beginning because, um, and they say with a lot of people that drink um, or do drugs, like you're almost like blocked from having that like spiritual connection. Like you're not as open to it. Something with, you know, the chemistry in your body or, you know, how open your mind is. 
And I 5,000% like dove way into that. And I feel like it was something I never would have gotten into before getting sober, but I freaking loved that book. I remember like recommending it to everyone in the beginning. That's awesome. Well, this has been really great and I'm excited for your journey and just, I didn't know you then, but I mean, just hearing your story and, you know, following you on social media and all of that fun stuff, you can just tell that it's been so transformative. And so, um, I will, we can kind of end with, if there's anything we've talked about a lot of your stuff throughout, but if there's anything you want to plug, here's the floor. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, if you guys go to my website, sarahordo.com, like everything's pretty much linked on there. All my books are on Amazon and Kindle. And then I just got my first book on Audible. Um, and other than that, I'm like super active on Instagram. So follow yeah. me on Instagram. Cause I do, I am story like every single day. We talk about lots of stuff and yeah. And I'll fun sure, over there. Yeah. I'll make sure to tag your Instagram as well. Um, and then just final note that we can end on if they're like, if there's anyone who's listening who maybe has been like considering going this route and like um, pursuing sobriety, what's one word of encouragement or advice that you would give them? If alcohol has impacted your ability to live a normal life in any way, shape, or form at all, you should probably explore your relationship with it. Yeah. Basically. Awesome. <laughs> like if you're considering it, there's a reason. Yeah.